factors of the heart. So I want to call your attention to the bulletin because there's a pretty profound thing that we're going to end up with out of there. And um, So we'll, we'll be going to that in just a bit. But one of the things is matters of the heart, that the series we've been on is on a mission from God, that we're not our own, we've been bought with a price, that the whole thing, what we do is, is really we're trying to, to accomplish what God has for us. Amen? So uh, here's what happens in the world. Joel, uh, where's Joel? He's probably, did you bring that in? Go get that will for me, would you please? I thought about it. Years ago, I had, uh, I, you just got to believe me on this, or you don't have to, but I'm going to tell you it's true. I had the idea first, at least that I know of, for the um, cooler on wheels. I had that idea for the cooler on wheels. I had it before it ever came out. I had it because I was, had, uh, Joel was a baby and Trisha was uh, about three, four, I guess he was four almost. And I remember that, uh, that I uh, was carrying this big cooler on the beach, Pensacola, or uh, Clearwater Beach, Florida. And I was carrying this cooler, and it had soda and all that stuff for all of us, and we were making a day at the beach. And then walking back, and I was fat, and um, I was out of shape. And I just remember thinking, boy, it would be nice if there were wheels on this thing. And then I thought, well, why aren't there wheels on this? And you know what? Was one of, to me, it's one of those creative ideas that God puts out there because he's the creator. And um, he puts out there and you do something with it or somebody else does something with it. Have anybody ever had that experience where you got some cool idea for like the umbrella and the drinks, you know, and, and you didn't do it and somebody else did and you know that they made out on it. And so I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, Stop. Do you remember that? Do you remember I told Arlene? Do you remember I told my mom? Do you remember who leaked it? Like nobody else is going to get this idea, right? But putting wheels on it. Let me tell you that from the beginning of time, that people have been trying to put wheels on the burdens that they have to carry. That's the world plan, is to put some sort of big honking wheels on it to make it easier for you to, to deal with it, easier for you to travel with it, to carry it. So now we've got luggage with wheels, right? How many of you have luggage? Wait a minute. No, that's the wrong question. How many of you don't have wheels on your luggage? Let me see your hands. You don't have wheels on your luggage. It's only one, two, and I think I saw three, four. You don't have wheels on your luggage. That's almost like you must have ancient luggage from the 50s, you know? It was Rob Petrie's luggage or something, you know? Wow. We all have that. And what is it meant to do is to help us carry that And the luggage, let's call it baggage. That's the other word for it. And so what the world's plan is, is for you to learn how to carry or tote around your your baggage. Um, How many of you ladies have at least one tote that acts as a purse that has wheels on it? That you can actually, I know Arlene does. You've got 31 bags. I know they got them out there. You guys, if you don't, you ought to buy one. See candy, right? Somebody else probably sells them. So here's the deal. That's the way of the world and what God does. So, so we got these big honking things, and they're good. I mean, this here is uh, from a hay wagon or something like that. It's farm implement. I, you know, I grew up in the city. But it's metal. It's, it's built for work. You see what I mean? So here's the thing. This actually come from Amish country up in um, Michigan. So um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I might have stole it from, when I was a teenager from somebody's yard. No, I didn't do that. So, so we put these kinds of wheels on industrial strength kind of wheels. You see what I mean? They're not, not like little, you know, the Hot Wheels wheels, right? So, so this thing, what is that for? It's to accomplish a purpose. It's a tool. There's this. But let me tell you, the wheels that we sometimes learn as people, we learn to try to, to carry this burden, and we think that we'll just go ahead and take it all by ourselves. And so we have dollies, and we have all kinds of cribs, and we have all kinds of little four-wheel carts and two-wheel carts, and we got ways of hauling it now, see? And here's God's plan. God's plan is, he says, give that to me. I don't want you carrying it. I don't want your stinking wheels, you see? And so what we got to learn, spiritual warfare is learning how to, to, to carry his burden and his yoke, which he said was easy and light, and for us to give him the other things, see? Because we're not meant to carry it 
It's, it's, it's too much for us. And so, in this case, we're talking about a perfect heart, not a perfect life. You understand? That's really what God's plan is for us, is to get His heart. If we'll have His heart in every situation, what will begin to happen is, you, your burdens will be eased. You won't go around with a, with a heaviness, a, that spirit upon you which weighs you down, which keeps you down, which keeps you under whatever people are doing to us, whatever jobs are doing to us, whatever our finances are doing to us. So what will happen is we'll learn to, to walk, and guess what? He says he's the glory, and he's the lifter of our heads. Well, if he's the glory and the lifter of our heads, what's that tell you about how we normally walk around? We walk around with our heads bowed. We walk around looking like we've got the weight of the world on our shoulders. Well, that's because the world wants you to carry its weight. God doesn't. God wants you to go according to his plan. So in, in today, I believe that we've got some things. I'm just going to do by a uh, war doesn't pause for holidays. So I'm not trying to diss moms on Mother's Day. I'm telling you that that's the way of the world to kind of put wheels on something is we, we call them holidays where actually we don't need that because we can have the joy of the Lord and we can celebrate life every day of the year. We don't need somebody else to establish some days of celebration. God gave us days of celebrations, or let's call them festivals. He gave us these times where we would recognize Him. For us, we do it every Sunday. Amen? Hopefully you do it all day long, all the time, every week, 24-7, 365, till He comes. Amen? So war doesn't pause for holidays. So we started out a few weeks back on weathering the storm. We talked about the right plan or starting point. We have to have the right foundation to to even understand spiritual warfare. We have to do a little bit of a reconnaissance. We have to know what exactly is going on. What's this about? And so when we understand that, it always means seeking understanding. Before anybody starts out on a plan, research and development or R&D is one of the fundamentals of a company because before they... It's research and de- development, and it starts with research, and that's the way we could learn from that because before a product makes it onto the marketplace that fills a need or meets an application, there's already been research and development. What do we need to do here? What is going on? And then that's how we have a successful launch of a product, for example. So research and development, spiritual research and development is understanding where are we at right here, what is what is really going on? The second part we talked about, so that was the right plan. The next one we talked about was the right gear. And we said the Bible actually gives us the, the, the holy, divine kind of clothing between the garments of praise, but the bigger issue is, is called the, the armor of God. And we talked about the belt of truth, and I've been kind of holding on to that because I, I shared how I used to have expandable belts, and that would allow me to gain weight so I could put six inches on and stay in the same belt. Not the same pants, just the same belt. And believe me, I was there one time. So I was robust, (laughs) rotund. Um, I was out there. 40, I think it was 52-inch waist, I think it used to be. So um, I had an expandable belt. Guess what I needed? I needed a belt, and we call the belt of truth, that truth restricts you. Truth will keep you to where this is the boundary. I don't go anywhere but the truth. And so that was part of the, the right gear is the armor of God. The next one is you've got to have the right knowledge or strategy. Going forward, how am I going to live my life? It's kind of like in the pursuit of a degree. I've got to take these courses to be able to get this degree to go into this field or area of uh, career. We talked about three distinct arenas or battlefields that are actually in the Bible. It tells us what these battles are. How can you know how to fight if you don't know what the battles are? And so the Bible actually gives us the answer to that says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's all just right out of the Scripture. So, not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, which is sometimes what people become to us, if we don't get it right, we're thinking, they're the problem. They're not the problem. See, the problem is what? Evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, that's why we don't know it, against the mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Does anybody ever seen any kind of mighty powers in this dark world? Does anybody ever seen any evidence in our life here that says this is a dark world? Cleveland? Connecticut? 
Colorado, California, New Jersey. Come on, how far do we have to go? Do we see any of that? Probably we can say somewhere around here. Coming soon to a town near you. It's, it's real. Come on. I'm not saying something kind of surreal out there. I'm saying this is practical. This is where it is. So here it is. We talked about the right team. That was out of First Chronicles chapter 12, the right team. We talked about all these, these tribes and how they all came together and they all had a specific purpose. Matter of fact, it says that they, they had, uh, some of them were, were valiant for war and, and others had knowledge and actually had wisdom. And so they were all necessary. Guess what you have in, in today's modern military? You have all those dimensions of people with specific emphasis and we'll bring in these different teams and they, they understand these details down to the intricacies and they can focus on those, 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 those uh, aspects, including even the odds and, and the, the ratios and what it, the risks that's involved in war or battle. And so we got the chosen. Today we're going to talk about the right stuff. We're going to talk about the heart of God. That's the right stuff. Some of you have the heart of God. Some of you have a measure of the heart of God. Some of you are seeking the heart of God. I'm just going to tell you the way it tells us to do it is actually in one of my favorite books of the Bible. So last week we talked about, in verse, uh, it was verse 33 and 38. I want to call your attention because that sets up today. It says of the tribes, in verse 33, it says, in, of the tribes of Israel, of Zebulun, there were 50,000 who went out in the army who could draw up in battle formation with all kinds of weapons of war and help David with an undivided heart. Now, I want to tell you, a few of you have been in, uh, how many of you have been in band where you had to march in some formation? So you understand that actually takes a little bit of work, especially if you're going to make, you know, things in the middle of the field when you're all done. It's a, it's a gift. It's a talent. It's a skill. It's something you learn to do. So they could draw up in battle formation. Then it says, it's, and they helped David, king, new king, with an undivided heart. And in verse 38 gave us another cue to today's sermon. All these, being men of war who could draw up in battle formation, came to Hebron with a perfect heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest, also of Israel, were of one mind to make David king. See, King Saul had violated the the precepts and ordinances of God and even the commands of God. And so Saul took the, the, the kingdom, God took the kingdom from Saul and he anointed David as king. And David wasn't the, the firstborn. David wasn't next in line. David was actually of the youngest of his brothers. And it says that he was just a shepherd boy. But he'd been faithful and he'd captured God's heart. What that tells you and me is we may not be first in line for an inheritance. But if you'll honor God, you'll, you'll find that if you'll seek him, that he'll jump over all kinds of, of, uh, of hurdles to get to you and to bless you. And you'll say, I don't have it coming. And he'd say, yep, that's right. Guess what? I saw your heart. And because of your heart, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. So, folks, one thing we can work on, we can work on our heart. We can make sure that we're doing everything we can to, to have a heart that's after God, that we have a heart that is pleasing to God. Because guess where a matter of most of the battles go on for us, not in the organ called the heart, not that blood pumping thing, where we generally struggle with is right here which is the seed of our thoughts, which is your heart. What is your heart like? Do you have a heart to honor? Do you have a heart for truth? Do you have a heart to be pleasing? Do you have a heart that makes you somebody that other people want to be around? If you don't, nobody wants to be around you. Why? Because you've got an evil, wicked heart. You've got a a, a wounded heart. I'm going to identify some of those. The greatest battle raging, we said last week, which on the bottom of the bulletin there on the, the one page, it says... The greatest battle raging right now is for the thoughts of people, one mind, the heart of the people, and for the identity of the people. Folks, when you lose your identity and you forget whose you are, what will happen is you end up out there wandering around. You end up not following anybody's orders. You end up in what's called the DMZ. I I love that, 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 that word picture, the DMZ, demilitarized zone. What that means is that there's a buffer between this nation and this nation, and they're in opposition, and the DMZ represents an area where they said no-fly zone, for example. You don't go into there. That's no man's land. When you're out there, you're not under the sovereignty and the protection of either nation. And so when you're in that place, we're going to call it neutral or we're going to call it independent. 
And when you're independent and you refuse to be ruled or governed by anyone else, you end up in this territory where you're likely to be picked on or fired at from either side. I think I heard somebody say the crossfire. So identity is a big part. Let's go to Joel chapter 2. It starts out in, uh, with verse 11 is where I'm going to start and uh, go to uh, verse 20. Guess what the church is? The church is his body. Guess what else the church is? We're his witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses, right? The, so the church is his body. The church is his witness. Guess what else the church is? An army. You know that? You're a soldier. You're a soldier in the Lord's army. Well, you may not know it, and so what's happening is you, you're just a POW right now. How many POWs we have in the room? You know what that means? I didn't know there was a war. Oh, I stumbled into this thing. Well, hello, we're about to open your eyes, and you go from being a POW or an MIA. You know what MIA is, right? Missing in action. You go to gaining your identity today that says you're a child of God. And because you're a child of God, there's a battle for you. There's a purpose for you. And God has a plan. He's going to give you the ammunition and the weapons. He already has, I'm going to tell you. Ready? Verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great. For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is your God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied in full with them, and I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. I want to finish it out with verse 20 there real quick. But I will remove the northern army far from you, and I will drive it into a parched and desolate land, and its vanguard into the eastern sea, and its rear guard into the western sea, and its stench will arise, and its foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Okay, well, that's a lot. We're going to actually cover the second part of that next week. This week, though, we're going to stay with it where it, where it really began. In verse 12, it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. And I want to tell you that there's a couple of things right there in the way that the Bible says things, says something to us specifically about not only the way God wants it to be, but how he finds it. See, it's real important not to just read it as some story. We need to read it that it's, it's, a, it's a command. There's, there's a purpose for it for you and me today, not just for them way back then for us today. So, the, the heart of God, the right stuff is the heart of God. And, and here he starts it out in verse 11. He says, don't wait for the day of the Lord. That means his return. In Joel's day, he was looking for, they were look, waiting for the Messiah who came in the person of Jesus the Christ. That happened in, you know, 4 or 5 AD when Christ was born and then fulfilled in, in 33 to 38 AD when Christ was crucified. So, we're going from all the way back into those times where that's the one that they were waiting on. The day of the Lord refers to one, possibly, is his birth and his first coming when he actually settled the debt between humanity and God. And he made provision for you and me. That is a day of the Lord, for sure. There's another day of the Lord which says that he is coming again. 
That's what he declares at the end of it. And he says, it says that uh, they were standing watching Jesus leave. And then an angel asked him and said to them, says, what are you looking for? He's going to come back the same way you saw him go. That means it's going to be a physical, visible return when Jesus comes. Now, it'll be covered on, on all the networks. Can you imagine how that's going to be? That's why we'll all see him coming. Because the first camera that locks itself on, the way he reveals himself, there'll be no mistaking. This won't be some phenomenon. This won't be a matter of of, of any kind of gases in the in the atmosphere. It'll come with a with a a blast of a trumpet. It says, and we'll hear it. So here it is. If we're gonna if we're gonna get our heart right, don't wait for the day of the Lord to get right with God. See, do it now. I mean, even even now, because. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our condition of our heart. And that comes and brings us some level of, of guilt or some level of, I know this isn't right. Uh, doesn't mean I want to do right. It means I know this isn't right. Sometimes you ever been there in the stubborn place where you know, I don't care what it takes. I don't want to do it right now. That's called stubborn. So in this place, don't be stubborn. Do it now. The key is in this passage, how he starts out is he says, come to me. Well, how? Even now, return to me. What's that mean? If he says return to me, what's that mean? We left. Come back. Come back. That's what he's saying. Come back. The old song says prone to wander. Are you prone to wander? Does that mean day to day, during the midst of the day, you kind of like forget about God, you forget about righteous living, you forget about certain things, so words come out, attitudes come out, your actions betray what you say your faith is. That's kind of common to people, by the way. That's part of warfare. Some of you just haven't learned to fight right yet. So even now, return to me with all your heart. That might mean that there's some in the room who have come to him with a little bit of our heart. Most of our heart. Some of our heart. See, he wants all of your heart. How did it say? Deuteronomy says, if you... Come before him, this is what he wants from us. What? Do you remember what it is? He says, come to me. He says, how are we supposed to approach him? How are we supposed to pursue him? How are we supposed to obey him? With all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. So you've got to engage fully, which means he has to be it. There's no other prize. There's nothing else that I'm longing for, yearning for, stretching for. And yet, guess what this life is filled with? personal longing, going after certain things that we want, if it's nice stuff and all that. But I'm telling you, you can have that as blessing, but he wants you to have him first, that he's the greatest possession you'll ever have. See? So, with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning, and right there he gives us three different components of how we get our heart right before God. With fasting, which is denying of your flesh. Food, which is one of the constant cravings that we have. The other things may be other vices that you know you got going on in your life. And it doesn't have to be food. Whatever that is, food is a natural one. With weeping and with mourning. I don't know about you, but even though I'm an emotional guy, I don't necessarily like crying in front of people. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't like showing that, that side of me. It's something in our country generally, especially for guys, it's not really encouraged, right? So... Weeping is not something I like to do because that's, that's kind of a misery of my soul. That's a, that's a place where I, I go that I don't really want to be there. I, wanna, I want fun. I want something that makes me feel good. I want something happy. See? Return to fasting with weeping and with mourning. And what is mourning? Is a reflection on the true condition of, of where I live, of my lifestyle, of my friends, of this life, of this world. So it may not be your own condition. It's going to be a matter of the condition of, of the whole world. It's a matter of all the strife that's going on, the battles and the wars and the issues, see? And rend your heart and not your garments. Um, do you have a jacket? Did I see you with a jacket this morning? I'm looking for a garment. Somebody got an extra garment on? Something you can... I need it to be something I can manipulate. I won't destroy it, I promise. Well, I don't know about you, but... Um, we do this still. I need Burdette. Maybe you can help me. And Mark, you're, you're, are you, is your hand? No, your hand's bad. I can't use you. I have to be Bob. Two former arm wrestlers. 
So I'm, we're going to pretend like I just put my big old wet something in there, and I want you to dry it out for me. And how you're going to do that is you're going to ring. So you see what they're doing? They're going to go as quiet, and water will be dropping out of that, and it'll be splashing. Yeah. And so what will happen is eventually, see how it starts balling up on the end? Where, now it's going to form this little knot, and, and then eventually they'll pull it out, and that's kind of like the last expression of squeezing the water out of it. Amen? That's, you've got a lot of pressure there, aren't you? Yeah, good. That's, that's the picture. Hold it up just a little bit there. That's the picture of when he says, rend your heart. That's what he's talking about is this thing that you, you would squeeze everything else out of it. Squeeze everything of this world out of it, and, and then you end up, boom. See, now you got it all done, and when it's some pressure, then you turn it one more crank. Isn't it? Thank you. That's good. Thank you, guys. His jacket will be, never be the same. So it says that that is kind of like a matter of bring your whole heart, first of all, everything you got. Don't hold any of it back, see? And then, then it says rend your heart. That means to turn inside out, to, to, to rip, to tear, to squeeze the flesh out and let the Spirit of God and His holiness in. You see? So when he wants that, what he says is, do this and then this. The idea is, is that I take the things that were there and I displace them and replace them with God, the holy element. So the wringing of the towel is about the closest. In the Old Testament, even up into Jesus' day, if you remember when they said, you know, there, there are people saying that you, you're saying you're, that you're the Messiah, and it says of the Pharisees that, uh, that, that they tore, he tore his clothes. See, the tearing of the clothes for the Pharisee that was a sign of grief, and that goes all the way back into the Old Testament, that, that even with Job, if you remember that he, he, he wore sackcloth and ashes, but he, he started by the tearing of his clothes, which in that case was a sign of great grief or of anguish. We don't, we don't see that a whole lot anymore, do we? I mean, I might tear somebody else's clothes. I don't generally tear my own. But that was the sign is that great grief and anguish would, would, be, would be a matter of tearing of the clothes. And so in this case, it had become an external show. This, oh, I'm angry. Oh, boy, he's angry. Look at all those torn clothes. I think the Hulk was the last time I ever saw that. The tearing of the clothes because of anger. And so what God's saying to Joel through Joel right here is he says, listen, I'm not looking for your external show of holiness, of righteousness, that you do all these things and make it look good. What I want you to do is I want you to forget the external stuff. I want to get to your heart. I want you to rend that. I want, you to, I want that to, to, you give me access so I can get that stuff that is entangling your heart and I can loose it from you so that you can be free. Then you can really have, have life abundant. But right now your heart is being squeezed into, into this little package called me, myself, and I. So think about these key heart problems. I, I just listed a few like heart-wrenching. You know what? What's heart-wrenching mean to you? Deep grief or disappointment or sadness, something that really just, it tears you up. When I think about 354,000 abortions last year, that, that, that really is heart-wrenching for me. A wounded heart. Somebody who's been hurt by someone else. How about brokenhearted? Anybody ever had a broken heart before? At least once? I know I've, I have, and I've, I've been the perpetrator of broken heart. How about a, a reckless heart? Know anybody who's reckless? You know what that means? They act like they don't really care, and they don't understand the consequences for their choices and decisions. And so they just go about thinking, oh, it doesn't matter. And it does matter. And they usually leave grief and pain and suffering in their wake. It's like a boat just going through a swimming area. How about a wicked heart? Ever seen anybody with a wicked heart? We're seeing it on the news all the time now, aren't we? I don't know with all the news coverage why we're not getting the idea that we need God more. How about a heavy heart? See, a heavy heart comes because God put longing in our heart. And that longing says that there's something, there's a, a, an expectation. And when that expectation, we, we see that it's not happening according to what he's put in us, even a hope, even a desire, we end up with a heavy heart. 
So how are we going to do all this? That, that was kind of the illustration. Bring your whole heart, and then you rend your heart. See, the heart that people were bringing to God, it was corrupt. It was full of all kinds of deception. Leads the, the prophet says that the heart is deceptively wicked. Who can know it? We can know it, can't we? We see it sometimes in other people. And sometimes if we'll look within, we'll actually see we might be the one with the wicked heart. Well, here's hope. God has a plan for you. It's actually in the bulletin. Will you read along with me there? Second Corinthians. I gave you the message version because I like it um, just the way it says it. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and it's got all kinds of whacked out stuff going on in the church of Corinth. And so what he's, he's doing is in the first letter, he responds to, to one type of thing. The second letter, here he is responding to another. But what it is, is that if I wrote you a letter and really got on your case, and it was even though it was speaking the truth in love, you wouldn't necessarily like it. Does anybody like somebody in their face getting in their mess? You know what I mean? No. Even if it's for your good which we know moms and dads can say, I'm doing this for your own good. So here it is. I know I distressed you greatly with my letter. He's talking about his first letter specifically. Although I felt awful at the time, I don't feel at all bad now that I see how it turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a while. Now I'm glad. Not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from him. The result was all gain, no loss. Folks, that's the truth of everything that comes our way. You can either let it drive you away from God, or you can use that and and say, God, you have a purpose. And Joel read it earlier during worship, you know, according to his purposes, you know, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So no loss. Then verse 10, distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets and end up on a deathbed of regrets. And now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has goaded you closer to God? That's like a prod, by the way, like a sharp stick. You're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible. Look, look, looked at from my angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. You can shake your fist at God in the midst of your trials and struggles, and you can curse him, and you can say, I'm not going to believe in it, and you can blame everybody else. But in the end, that's your condition you're having to walk around with. The truth is, God says that if you'll let it draw, him, draw you to him, then the condition will be, the end result's going to be, you've learned, you've been groomed, you've been bolstered, you've been strengthened, and you come out of it ready for battles, see? And you come out of it with a confidence and a boldness, and you come out of it with a hope, and you come out of it with a sense of direction of what you're really supposed to do, and you understand the enemy better as a result of it. The end thing is, is you're ready for battle now. And how'd that happen? Because of all the stuff I just had to go through. Most of you have been through things in your life that you know you didn't think you were going to make it out, didn't think it was going to, you, you thought you'd never live beyond this moment. I remember breaking up with girlfriends, or better yet, girlfriends breaking up with me, and I didn't think I was going to make it. <laughs> come on. We have all kinds of issues in our life that we've come through. That is supposed to be encouragement for you to tell you that it ain't over, baby. God's on your side, and he isn't going to abandon you or leave you in the midst of it. And so what we've got to do is when we're in the midst of battle, we've got to endure because God has a plan. He's going to show himself in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pain. So what can you do? You open up our heart. I want to tell you by way of a couple things this morning. Maybe, Joe, uh, you have your cell phone? How about calling uh, Jack and Judy? Judy's over in Columbus, and um, she's, she's going to have tomorrow, she's having a procedure. She's had this... Uh, now, think about warfare, folks. What I'm about to tell you will, will make you want to delay lunch a little bit longer, okay? She's had diarrhea for over two years. We're not talking about diarrhea every now and then. We're talking about constant diarrhea. Now, if anybody's ever had constant diarrhea for any length of time, like 24 hours, you know that's kind of, eh. See, it makes you that you don't know where you can go. 
how far you can get away from where you know there's a bathroom. It's, less, less, it's worse than bladder control. We're talking about, you know, stinky stuff. So in other words, she's had this condition for over two years now. It's almost going on three years. So this is a condition that is making her weak. She's down to 75 pounds. I think one of my thighs weighs 75 pounds. She's down to 75 pounds, and she is, uh, she is very little energy. Um, bless her heart, she's still got faith. But now, on top of everything else, she's had a kidney transplant, and uh, now she has a uh, heart condition. She actually, they believe that she had a heart attack a couple of nights ago. Um, she was in the hospital, so that's a good thing. I'm talking about you right now. Um, she was in the hospital. She had a heart attack. She needs to have a stent put in. Hi there. Who's, who is this, Jack? Judy? Hi there, sweetheart. Hi. Okay, we're just talking about you and setting it up so we can pray for you, okay? How you feel? Yeah? Good. So, tomorrow? Good. All right, well, we're going to, let me finish, and we're going to stop and pause and pray for you right now, okay? Love you. So she's going to have this stent put in because what it needs is there's a weak spot. And uh, is it a vessel, or a vein, or is it an artery? That the vein going into the heart. Okay. And so what they're going to do is they're going to take this stent, and they're, going to, they're coming all the way from, from the groin area, and they're going to come up into the heart, and they're going to put that stent in there. You know why? Because it's collapsing. And so that weak spot there that they're going to bolster. And that's, that's a, that's a, that's, this is a type of, this is a sign for the church. See? God wants to bolster you. Let's call it that stint is the Holy Spirit himself. See, who opens up our heart, gives us that, that, that proper working heart. Amen? Let's, uh, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Hey, sweetheart. We love you, and we think you're a champion. We know you're a champion because you've been, uh, you've been battling so well. And um, you're a model, sweetheart, for, um, for all of us. Because when we compare, you know, our little, uh, I guess I want to say hangnails and little issues of life, scratches and skirmishes with yours, we, uh, we're humble. You know that? Yeah. So, Father, I come before you right now. We thank you for, for Jack and Judy. We thank you that, but God, all these years ago, you brought them together because they would be ones who would truly weather the storms of life. They would be ones who would show us uh, how to do it. They would be ones that would uh, be, uh, they're, they're shining examples, God. They're trophies of grace for your own glory. I just thank you for, for Judy right now that you've given her peace, God, in, uh, in her mind and in her heart and in her spirit. Peace that God will, uh, that you've got your hand upon her, that you're the one who holds her, that you've gone before her, that you're her rear guard, and God, that you put your hand up, uh, upon her. So she's totally encompassed and encased. Uh, in your uh, amazing uh, uh, hands and palms. And I thank you for that, that no weapon formed or fashioned against Judy can prosper. We thought we knew what that meant, but then all of this. And so, God, it means that how great is the attack if, if, if we see the, the wounds that, that your servant, your saint, carries. And, Lord, how much greater is the victory? How great is, is your goodness? So, God, I thank you that you have preserved her life, that you've You've taken care of her. You've been her provision all along. And we come before you as a congregation, as friends and family, brothers and sisters. And we ask God for you to continue to to, uh, shed your light. God, give wisdom and insight and understandings into how she is fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and marvelous is this faith that you've cultivated in Jack and Judy. We come before you and ask God for your guiding hand for the surgeon every aspect of this surgery, that you strengthen little Judy. And God, we want her to be uh, fat at 110 pounds again someday. So, Lord, we just look for you to, to resolve these issues of the flesh, for you to be glorified in, in your church, in your girls, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, love you, sweetheart. We'll, uh, we'll be praying for you. Okay, bye-bye. Let me give you a last promise. I don't even, I uh, can't see. It's 5F. 
me give you the last promise. It's in Ezekiel. You want to turn there. It's just before Joel. So if you go back left in your Bible to Ezekiel, God's solution. Here's what we do. All we can do is we come and give him what we can do. And then beyond that, guess what? He has to do it, right? So one sows, one waters, and what? God causes the growth. That's what the Bible says. Hallelujah. Worship team, you can make your way back up to the, uh, to the front. It's in Ezekiel, unless you want to read this. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. This isn't Ezekiel's own idea. This is Ezekiel being servant that God comes and says, Here it is, Ezekiel. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want the people to know. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, your brothers, your relatives, your fellow exiles, and the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those to whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I had removed them far away among the nations, and though I had scattered them among the countries, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. Then verse 21 just has a little bit of a warning. But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord God. Joel chapter 2.20, that's basically the exact kind of scenario that he tells both prophets the same thing. He says, here it is. He says, those who are the inhabitants... Those, they, were, they, weren't, they were the inhabitants, but they weren't the owners of the land. That was God's land for God's people. That's what we have, God's promises for God's people. And so what happens is when the enemy comes in, he comes in and he's a squatter. You know what a squatter was? They don't belong there, see? They're trespassers. And that's what happens in exile. God said, because you didn't listen to me, because you didn't obey me, I'm going to drive you out, but it's for a period of time. It actually says here, a little while. That was 70 years for them. For you and me, we haven't endured 70 years. See what I mean? We've endured weeks or hours or days sometimes, and maybe for some of us even years. But I'm telling you, God, he's got this plan, and he begins to reel it in. And his time now, it's, it's a matter of, it's really relatively short, short for most of us. As a matter of fact, I'd say Judy Kendrick, she's one that has battled longer with the, the issues of flesh than anything I've ever seen disease and dysfunction in her body. Surgery starting when she was 17 years old and just been nonstop all along. Well, God says, I'll give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within them and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God wants you to be obedient to him and he says, I'm going to give you a heart that will be obedient if you'll come to me. Bring out that old nasty stinking heart And let me fill it with my goodness, with my greatness. It says that the penalty or repercussion or consequence for the wicked, for the rebellious, for the defiant, he tells what that will be. Folks, we don't want any of that. What we want is we want the blessings of God. We want to see that manifest in our day. I want to end with this little calling to mind. The Scripture in Joel If you look in your bulletin, it's the last panel on the back. It's a special meeting, it says. There's no way a preacher can read this. I think you'll be the same way when you're done reading it. In verse 15, it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders. I'd be remiss if I didn't call you into account for next Sunday. I want to fast from from, uh, uh, 7 a.m. in the morning till 8 p.m. at night. I want to call a solemn assembly for the church more than what's here this morning to gather uh, on next Sunday evening. 
to come here. We've got issues going on like you wouldn't believe in the church. We've got issues. We've got people. I've got, there's things in, in every way that, it, that is happening. There's depression. There's medical needs. There's, there's uh, issues of, of um, bondage. There's issues of vices. There's, I just got to tell you, we've got to have breakthrough. And, and so I put down here, is if, this, if you call New Life Fellowship, if you call this your church, I'm going to ask you to cancel other plans. Stop it. Put that night and set that day as a special time to say, because I, 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 in 13 years of being here, we've never done what we're doing here. We've never done that. We've done times of fasting and prayer. We've done other things. We haven't had it to where when we come in, this is what our purpose. I, I just want to tell you now, you come here, this, it, I'm, I'm serious about it. I want the glory of God to manifest. I want his presence. I want the power of God. I want to see miracles, signs, and wonders. I want to see people being truly delivered and set free from the bondages that, that we're in. So I don't want us to come out here and, and hear laughter in our hallway. It's not a time of laughter. It's not a time of greeting one another. It's not a time of talking about sports or the week or anything else. It's a time to come in and, and if you want, it's a funeral. It's a funeral for the flesh. And it's a time for us to reflect and for us to cry out to God. And I can't tell you I know exactly what all that looks like yet. But I can tell you that I'll be seeking it all week long. He gives us some of the dimensions here. I know that the elders are going to be crying out. I am expecting to bow my heart before God. Hey, I live in joy most of the time. You know me. I'm a cut-up. I'm a goof-off. But there's a time where God says, this is what I have for you. You really want that? That's what he says. You really want that for your people? Then come to me and rend your hearts and not your garments. So I'm just asking you to set apart a time next week Fasting is whatever God puts on your heart. If it's television, it can be a meal, it can be all the meals, be whatever you need that day. I'm going to tell you, you can make it, you can do it, because I know God's in it. And he's calling us to come to him with everything we've got. I'm going to ask you to call friends and family and people who aren't here, and I don't care if they go to other churches. There's not too many churches around our valley that have Sunday night services. So I can tell you that it's not because they're going to be in other churches. And I just want you to invite them. Be here and let's seek the Lord. And I don't know what that looks like yet, okay? I'm just being honest. I'm not worried about music, worship. I'm not any other elements. What I'm, what I'm want to do is I want to have our time that, that we'll be on our knees, that we'll be on our faces, that we'll be crying out for God. We'll be repenting of our, of our sins, of our conditions, of the things we've tolerated, the things that we've allowed, the things we've, we've, where we've gone with our, with our minds, with our hearts, with our lips, with our hands, with our feet. And so I'm just going to ask you for that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, to me, it'd be more important if you're only going to attend church one time next week, I'd rather you come in the evening. Godly sorrow. It's what he'll bring. I'm not going to call out people's issues and sins. God's going to do that. He's the convictor of people. Are we going to do that video before this? Not ready? I thought we had that last one. We do. Huh? It's got to be. Because it's a great way to leave. You want to do it after the song? <clears throat> we can do it now. You know why? Can we pause just a second? Because this is such a great video. And I'll tell you what. Is, is I want to I tell you this way, first off, leading in. It's Mother's Day video, okay? And uh, it's one of the cutest I've ever seen, but here's the deal. When I saw this, I've got to be honest with you, there's times where I didn't, I didn't feel that way about my own mama, okay? And what it did is it grieved me because I felt like that's not who she was. And then what it led me to is a repentance in my own heart that said, God, help me to remember the way she really was. And help me to be, see beyond anger, to see beyond any, any of the, the other things to help me to, to grasp that she did love me. And that she did, she, she meant well. See, I want to find a way to honor Mama God. And so when I saw this, it's been heavy on my heart since. And I just want you to see it. If your mom's the way this is, hey, celebrate, call her. Do, you know, be special with her. If she's not, you pray for her and do as the the preacher had to do is seek a place where I can find the good 
to look at in my mama. Amen? Remember when I was a baby? (laughs) Whatever I ate was what you wanted to eat. When I slept was when you slept. When I woke up, you wanted to wake up too. Is it because you want to copy me? Remember when I cried because that boy didn't want to play with me? You cried too, and you weren't even there. But when I laugh, you like to laugh. Even when I have homework, you do homework. You aren't even in school, Mom. When I want to ride my bike, you always want to ride your bike even though you go kind of slow. Remember when I broke my arm? You said it broke your heart. See? We both broke something. When I get sleepy at night, you seem sleepy too. And when I get in bed, you always want to say prayers with me. And then you want to scratch my back. When you leave, you go get in your bed, too. Mom, I'm starting to think you want to be just like me. Because you always do things I do. But it's okay, because I like it. Happy Mother's Day. Or Happy Mother and Son's Day. In case you want to share that, too. I thank God for my mama. I remember coming home crying because the kids at elementary school, I was the reject, and she wanted to go down and beat them up. And I I told her to. (laughs) But she didn't. And, uh, you know, my dad and I, we have a really close relationship. But... My mama was always the one who came to the rescue. Whenever I got injured, which was many times, I, uh, what, 90% of my injuries were self-inflicted. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'd always, you know, you always go to mom and she'd kiss your boo-boo and make it feel better. Um, jellyfish stings or falling out of a tree. And, um, you know, this, <clears throat> this song that we end on here is actually about who can rescue us. Um, in those moments, we all come to this place of frailty and realize we can't save ourselves as much as we try. And in the end, there's things mom can't even do, couldn't even do in my own, my own search for, for truth, my own search for meaning in life, and only God could rescue. And that's what this is, and we're going to sing this as a declaration um, about him lifting us from the grave, that he alone can rescue. Amen?